Welcome to the Spirit of Praise broadcast coming to you from Tabernacle of Praise Church International, York, South Carolina. I'm Bishop Alfred Jackson. I'm thankful that you've tuned in today. I pray that the message will bless you and impact your life in a powerful way. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the message. Praise the name of Jesus. Lord, you've been good, so good. Better than good to me. Woo. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You've been can say, Lord, you have been so good to me. Hallelujah. We bless the Lord for music ministry leading us in praise and worship this morning in such a, a powerful way. You've been so good to me. I did forget to announce that following worship this morning, our, our ministerial staff uh, will be engaged in a, I think we call this Top Talk. I'm not sure what we call this, but it's a session that we're doing today that deals with church fathers. Um, and we're going to do this again, but this will be the first session where we present to you, and this will be recorded and aired on one of our, or all of our uh, social media channels as we talk about the contribution of African church fathers. 
this is really interesting. Uh, even in just in my studying alone, uh, I've just, I've seen so much that, that we need to understand today. And a lot of times in the, in the context of our teaching and preaching, uh, there's, there's a lot that we don't get and don't understand. Even as I was preparing my message today, for today, uh, a lot of it ties into into some of the things and people that we will be talking about, um, people who made great contributions to the faith. And they were Africans. They were not Europeans. They were not Arabs. They were Africans. So important in our discussion. So join us. Stay with us. Hopefully we'll have a time for questions and answers uh, if you can. Uh, but this will be recorded. All right. Matthew chapter 16 and Acts. I will do both of these scriptures because both of them relate to uh, the message today. Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 24 to 27. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. And when he, well, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. I want to talk about the thing that distinguishes us. The thing that distinguishes us. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your word being active and alive, your word being spirit and life. Thank you for the message that you've given today. I pray for a fresh anointing of your spirit that I can deliver and will deliver what you've given to me under the power and the anointing of your spirit. Through your anointing, we know that yokes are destroyed. And through your anointing, burdens are removed. As you continue to equip us for works of ministry, works of service, thank you for your word that works in us to accomplish your will and your good pleasure through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. The thing that distinguishes 
us. There's an age-old issue that many in the body of Christ have tackled over the years, and that is whether joining the church and being a follower of Jesus Christ are one and the same. And with this issue comes the question, if parents are Christians, does that make the children Christian also? Or the question, does baptizing a Christian in babies make them Christians? Or does baptism make a person a Christian? Even does verbal confession of faith in Christ make a person a Christian? Well, Christian, the term Christian was a designation given to followers of Christ by the people in Antioch who were not followers of Christ. It was not intended to be a praiseworthy designation uh, because in the Roman Empire, Christians were not looked upon favorably. Many Jews didn't like Christians. Many Jews uh, fought against Christians because Christians believe in Jesus. And they didn't like they didn't like Jesus, so they didn't like Christians. And in the Roman Empire, uh, Christians were the brunt of a lot of cruelty and persecution. But the term was not a praiseworthy term, the designation. And, and, and you know, when you look at, at um, the persecution of the church, even in Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. You see, Christians, I mean Jews, didn't even like those who were part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the term Christian, term Christian, because a lot of people say that they're Christians. A lot of nations say that they're Christians. Uh, the term Christian is widely used around the world today to designate this faith and to identify those of us who in some way identify with the church. But it was not so from the beginning. And many believe that, that this easy designation, I believe it was under Constantine uh, I, who, desert, who, who, who made Christianity the religion of the nation. So then automatically everybody became Christian. Yeah, yeah. But it was this e that this easy designation has done more harm to the cause of Christ than it has to help it. Okay? We have to remember Jesus' mission. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. The lost designation meant those who had lost their way in this world and were estranged from Yahweh, the sovereign God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
who God had promised that through his seed, Abraham's seed, that he would bless all of the nations of the earth. In, in, in Genesis chapter 12, you can read that. It says, through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We know that this covenant promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It was intended to be fulfilled through the Jewish people, uh, but the Jewish people as a whole failed to do what God wanted them to do. But God, uh, uh, even though the Jews failed in their mission, God didn't fail in his mission. He fulfilled that mission in Jesus Christ. And, as we've stated before, he continues to fulfill that mission in every generation to those of us who follow Christ. Follow Christ. Can someone say, follow Christ? This is part of the reason that this discussion is so pertinent today. It's the followers, it is the followers of Jesus Christ who work to fulfill God's mission today. It's not those who connect with the church because of some supposed benefit that comes along with church membership or because they deem it the right thing to do. Now, when we look at this, Jesus even addresses this issue. In John chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus says, and, and many of you know the account, after these things, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Okay. But Jesus made a great distinction in this discourse. And, and, and I won't take time to read all of John chapter 6, but go back and read John chapter 6. Saints, if you are a follower of Christ, it's important that you read the Bible. It's important that you read the Bible. You've got to know what the Scripture says. I can't emphasize that too much. You can't just say, I'm a Christian, and you don't ever read thoroughly the word of the Lord. So important, so important. Um, in this distinction, because Jesus recognized that there were those who were following him because of the signs. They were following him because they were being fed. They were following him because people were getting healed. You know, they, I, was, I was sitting just a few moments ago and, and just reflecting over what I've been studying this week and reflecting over the church today and even the persecution of the church. And, you know, we live in a time when people really want to be entertained. I wonder if in the, in the early church there was a keyboard and a musician <laughs> and drums. If you, if you listen to Ethiopians worship, in their original language, some of them only have drums. And for us, it would be very boring, and we wouldn't want to be a part of the service because we won't be hyped up. If there's not hype in the worship, we don't want to be a part of that church because we're not excited. <sighs> but 
I'm going to share part of this in John chapter 6 because it ties in with the word, with the message today. In verse 35, I'm going to jump down, but you need to go back and read this because Jesus addresses this. He addresses this issue of those following him because of, uh, of, 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 of the miracles and the signs that he performed. Uh, and he makes a, a distinction in this discourse that early disciples understood and abided by. The difference in people following him for what they could get and following him out of identity and commitment to him and his cause. So, John, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. All of this is important in this message now. I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he's given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, the Jews begin to complain they begin to complain about him because he says, I am the bread of life. What do you do with bread? Eat it. Anybody eat bread this morning or yesterday? Had a hamburger or a chicken sandwich or something? He did. <laughs> Sausage biscuit this morning. We eat bread. How many of us like bread? Cornbread, rolls, biscuits. I mean breads. Sandwich bread, all kinds of bread. Yeah, add some different, different, different seasonings in it, and get you some olive oil with some, with some uh, uh, that peso sauce, you know. Oh yes, all you can have is some bread, and oh my goodness, make you a, a grilled cheese sandwich. Just buy good grilled cheese. Oh man, we eat bread. So the Jews complained. Because Jesus said, I am the bread which come down from heaven. And they said, it's not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How is it that he says, I've come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draw. I thank God that God drew me to Jesus. I don't know about you today. I, I know that God drew me to Jesus. Amen. Amen. At 10 years old, amen, when I didn't understand a whole, whole lot, I understood that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I wanted to be a part of him. But it wasn't just my mind. It was the Spirit of Christ drawing me. He said, I'll raise up at the last day. I want to skip just a little bit more of this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, verse 47, has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread 
which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, when you eat bread, what happens to it? It goes into your, into your mouth and into your system, and the nutrients of the bread helps nourish your body. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, Jesus is not talking about physical life, but he's talking about spiritual life. And he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have spiritual life in me, in you. You don't have spiritual life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. Now, when you think about the whole imagery of bread and what you do with bread and eating bread and incorporating it in your body, and you think about what Jesus is saying about his flesh and his blood, he's not dealing with talking about us being cannibals and eating human flesh, but he is talking about us incorporating him, his way of life, his teachings, his character in us. Those are the ones who are his disciples. This is not a casual relationship that Jesus is talking about. This is not simply joining a group of people or an organization that Jesus is talking about. This is much, much deeper than that. Jesus is talking about being completely identified with him so that we can say like Paul said in Galatians 2 and 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Every one of us, every disciple of Christ needs that same testimony. It comes as we, as we not just verbally say, I accept Jesus, not just join the church and get our names on the church roll, but we begin to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Jesus, completely incorporated into us. So it's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in me. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. When we begin to investigate this issue, we discover that Jesus was not necessarily looking, this whole issue of following Christ, Jesus was not necessarily looking for a huge crowd. Remember? And I know today, we, I would love for Tabernacle of Praise to be running over, bursting at the seams. But I thank God for a few people, or a good number of people, who want to be his disciples and who are concerned about making disciples of others. But Jesus wasn't looking for a huge crowd. You see, 
You see, sometimes we're looking for a crowd because a crowd seems to validate us and validate what we do. Because people are hearing, people are listening, people are joining, but, but people follow Jesus for different reasons. They wanted the food. They wanted the miracles. But so, when we begin to investigate this, we discover that Jesus was not necessarily looking for a huge following. He was looking for those who would commit themselves to him, be transformed by his likeness, and continue to work. Continue the work. Can somebody say continue the work? So being a follower of Christ is not just coming to worship. Being a follower of Christ is not just, it's not just coming to, to be preached to or be taught. Being a follower of Christ is not just having a place to be buried. Being a follower of Christ means that we continue the work of making other disciples. Yeah. That's why he said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If anyone would be my disciple, let him or her deny himself, whatever self wants to do. That's a struggle. The flesh, the flesh is a struggle, y'all. Amen. The flesh is a struggle, but it's a struggle that we have to deal with. It's a struggle that, that the Holy Spirit will come and help us defeat if we want to defeat it. But you know what? You got to want to defeat it. You got to want to defeat it. Amen? Let him take up his cross and follow him. Now, now, as I've already stated, the term Christian was not originally used by the believers of themselves. They preferred the term believers, disciples, or brothers. The people even call them people of the way. But they call themselves believers, disciples, or brothers. The first extensive use uh, by a Christian writer to designate fellow believers was by Ignatius, the bishop of Antioch, around the turn of the second century. And this, this is early on. Now, now when you get into the, to the discussion this evening, this afternoon, if you stay, you're going to find out that a lot of these early church fathers worked during this period of time. And as the, and as the church begins to, to, to go from um, different house churches, different groups that are meeting from place to place, and as the church began to grow, there began to be a need, or they thought there was a need for a more structured format, all right? And anyway, I won't say more about that. Uh, uh, but you begin to understand how the church develops, so you really need to stay and listen to this. So um, the term in the Greek is, is, is Christi Christian. I, I, I said I was going to pronounce this thing right. I practiced it over and over again. <laughs> Christian, Christian, Christian Oi. That's still not right. Amen. But it consists of the Greek word for Christ, or Messiah, Christos, with the Latin word in Ienos, which means belonging to or identified by. Say belonging to. Identified by. So, 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 when they use the term Christian, they, they didn't say what we would say today. They said it in the Greek, and it meant belonging to 
or identified by. It's very important now because if something belongs to someone, it is for their use, for their purposes, right? You didn't buy your house for me to come live in it, did you? Tell the truth, you didn't. You bought it for you and your family, for your purposes. I mean, not anybody else's. If you buy a car, it's for your own purposes, not anyone else's. Well, the scripture tells us that we, the followers of Christ, Paul refers to us in Ephesians as Christ purchased possessions. So he purchased us for his own purposes. Amen. Followers of Christ have been purchased for his own purposes. Therefore, if we would use the term Christian, it's not simply connecting to an assembly of believers or to an organization. It is yielding one's right to one's own life to the authority or the right of another, and in our case, Jesus Christ. We belong to ourselves. Paul said it to the church at Corinth. You're no longer yourselves. That means you no longer belong to yourself. Because you've been what? Oh, you've been bought with a price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is, this is important. It's important. You were born, you were bound in sin, blinded by Satan and the appealing things of the world. Yes. Well, I won't say you. I was, all right? I couldn't free myself regardless of how I tried, but one day I heard the gospel and yielded myself to Jesus and his redeeming work. Got to hear the gospel. That's why baptizing a baby is just not good enough. That baby needs to grow. That baby needs to hear the gospel message so that baby can come to the point of faith. Faith comes by Hearing what? The word of the Lord. Amen. The baby has to grow and become mature enough to hear and accept the gospel message, accept Jesus for him or herself. So you gave up your right to be you in all your shame and degradation and gave your life to him, but none of that would have been possible, none of it, if he had not already done the work. To, to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy the power of sin over our lives. We could never have come to Christ if he had not already destroyed the power of sin and Satan over our lives. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus died. Jesus shed his blood, paying the price to satisfy divine justice so that you could accept, so that I could accept God through faith in Christ Jesus, accepting the sacrifice, accepting the provision. Now I belong to him. The early believers understood this, and they lived in such a way that people saw their unique relationship with Christ. They saw their uniqueness, and they dubbed them Christian. However, the follower of Christ the follower of Christ, however, realized that they, that they were not simply people with a name or people with a designation. 
They belonged to Christ. They belonged to him, and they followed his teaching and followed his ways. So what's the essence of belonging to Christ? Well, when you look at belonging to Christ, it speaks of the uniqueness of our relationship with Christ as in the uniqueness of Jesus' relationship to God. Jesus said, my Father and I are one. My Father and I are one. My Father and I are one. The essence of belonging to Christ is that we, be, we become one with him. It's no longer my will, but your will. It's no longer my desire, but your desire. We become one in nature. It means we are born again. Yeah. That's how we become one in nature. We have a new spiritual, we have a new spiritual birth inside of us that takes place by the Holy Ghost. One in vision, seeing as he saw and seeing as he sees. One in confession, speaking what he has spoken. One in purpose, we're here to do his will, not our will. Now, you know, anyway, this unique relationship does not come about by connecting to an organization or pledging your allegiance to a religion or movement or to a person. One of the issues with Christianity is that people have joined and been incorporated into the religion, but not into the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. People are Christian in name but not in nature, not in character. Therefore, people don't love God as Jesus loved God. I, let me, let, so, you know, when I pray, and I pray, God, I love you, but I realize that my love for you doesn't compare to your love for me. Lord, help me to love you the way you love me. Because I'm in the process of becoming. But in that process of becoming, there's an allegiance that I've made, not to a religion, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a commitment that I've made, not to a church body, but to the Lord Jesus Christ. Makes all the difference in the world. So we're, to, we're not to be Christian in name. We're to be Christian in nature. Amen? We are to seek to do the will of God as he sought to do, uh, as Jesus sought to do the will of God. And we're to seek to advance the kingdom of God as Jesus sought to advance his kingdom. And we can't do that unless we're one with him. Except we eat his flesh, drink his blood. That's how serious this matter is. In John's account of Jesus' Jesus's encounter with, with those following him for the bread and for the miracles, people turned away from him because they didn't understand. They couldn't, they couldn't, they couldn't grasp this thing of eating his flesh and, and, and drinking his blood. But he asked his disciples, will you too walk away? Peter said, Master, where shall we go? For you 
have the words of life. So this was different from for this was different for those 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 disciples, those twelve, and those others who were committed to Jesus. They were not just following him for what they could get. They had begun to incorporate Jesus' life, his person, his will, his way, his confessions into their own lives. They recognized that they belonged to Jesus. Y'all okay in here? It's cold out there, huh? You know, when, it's, when the air starts blowing, people get real chilly-like. Sit on your face and you stop saying amen. You stop looking. Yeah. Well, I'll be finished in just a few minutes. Amen. I will. Amen. So, 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 so. Yeah. We need to know. We need to know. And I say this, as I'm saying this, I think I'm saying it from a different way that I wrote it. Hear this. We need to know that we belong to Jesus. We need to know that we belong to Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves. Your life is not your own if you are a follower of Jesus. You just don't do what you want to do. You just don't. You don't live like you want to live. You just don't. You just don't. None of you belong to Jesus. You, we, we don't belong to ourselves. We don't belong to Satan. We belong to Jesus, and it is his will that must be done in our lives. Knowing who, will, who we belong to will put parameters around your life. When you begin to deal with this issue, if you've never really dealt with it, now, you know, there's a difference in, a, in, in acquiescing to a thing. Yeah, I know I belong to Jesus. Then really coming to terms with, I really belong to Jesus. My life... It's not my own. I can't go where I want to go. I can't do, yeah, what I used to do. Because I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. It put parameters around your life. Knowing who you, who you belong to will even help you focus on doing the will of God. Now it's not what I want to do, but Lord, it's what you want done. So now I begin to search the scriptures, and I begin to fast, and I begin to pray, and I begin to seek the face of the Lord so that I know what the will of the Lord is for my life. Knowing who you belong to will help you bring glory and honor to him in your life. Because that's ultimately what we've been, what we've been, what humanity was created to do and what we have been born to do. Y'all got that right. Y'all caught that. You know the difference between created and born. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Folks say, I've been created this way. God created me like this. No, you were born. Adam and Eve were created. Amen. Can't say that enough. Because we, can, we need to start challenging this thought that God created you to be something that doesn't glorify him. That God made a mistake. No, you were born in sin. You were shaped in iniquity. You have a sin nature. God didn't make you a, with us. God didn't make you a sinner. We inherited a sin nature. Got to get this thing. We got to get it right. Cause folk need to, people need to stop being deceived. And a lot of times, people are deceived because they're not sitting under teaching. They've already rejected the Christ and rejected His church. 
And, and so they're just going by what the world says. Television is their church. The world's philosophy is what they're following. Anyway, yeah. You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. Yeah. Not only that, let's talk about this. In belonging to him, these early disciples identified with him. They identified with Jesus. The Gentiles in Antioch began to label the followers of Christ as Christians because they knew these people identified with Christ. They may not have understood that they identified with Christ in his nature, his will, and his way, but they knew that they identified with Christ. For the believer, identifying with Christ meant we're different. We're different. Now, that's another thing that today's society doesn't want. We don't want to be different. We do everything we can today to be like the world. And we use the excuse that we want to draw people to Christ. We want to make Christianity appealing so people are drawn to Christ. Jesus didn't make his way appealing so people could be drawn to him. His way was his way. And you either followed him because you, you learned to, came to love him and you committed yourself to him or you, you walked away like all of those people did when he said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. He was speaking the truth, but he was very deliberate about what he said because he knew that those people were going to walk away. We don't want people leaving the church. Now, people leave the church for different reasons, but, 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 but we want to keep everybody Everybody's not going to stay. Everybody's not going to stay. We want them to. Everybody's not going to follow Jesus. We may want them to, but everybody is not. Straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be who go in thereby. Identifying with Christ. Scripture says, and they were called Christians first at Antioch. Antioch. You know, these areas of the, of the world, you're dealing, with, you're dealing with North Africa, all right? And you're dealing with, with, with uh, Rome and Italy. You're dealing with this. this I want to I preach what I read this morning. North Africa was very, very significant in the establishment of the church and theological foundations in the church. It was not Europe. Carthage even rivaled Rome. You know how Rome got to be so important? Because Peter went to Rome and was crucified in Rome, and the Catholics believed that Peter was the one Jesus chose to build his church on. Anyway, let me go back. <laughs> yeah, that's how Rome got. But, but Carthage... In, in Tunisia, North Africa was very significant in the theological foundations of Christianity. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the, these people identified, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, okay, uh, and, and, and Takya, Turkey, was an important city in the history of Christianity, okay? It was a busy seaport. 
There's a lot of trading going on. People coming from all over the world, trading, going through in and out of, in and out of Antioch, okay? A busy trade hub possessing a lively mix of people. Uh, people from all over the world were there in Antioch. It was also a place where missionaries, where missionaries from Jerusalem were sent to preach to the Gentiles, okay? You remember Stephen's, uh, 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 you remember how Stephen was, was killed? So after Stephen's martyrdom, people left Jerusalem, and this is one of the places that they went to preach to the Greeks, to preach to the Greeks, not to Grecians. Grecians would, 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 have, would have been Jewish uh, people that lived in that area. But they saw, the, they sensed the calling of God to go and preach to the Greeks. And we read this in, 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 in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 22. So the church was, was established, and when they went down to start preaching, the church in Jerusalem heard about what was happening in Antioch. They sent Barnabas. Barnabas went and preached and ministered, and he saw people being converted. Barnabas went and sought Paul. You know, it wasn't like today. You get on your cell phone. And you call somebody in Europe and say, I need you to come to the United States and you send a plane ticket. Can you imagine this? Barnabas had to get on the ship and had to go to Tarsus and had to look for Saul. So he had to go through the city and he had to ask people, where do you think Saul is? Have you seen Saul? Have you seen this man? So this was even an endeavor in itself. But we don't understand in today's world because we have access to so much stuff. We can locate people. You got a locator on your phone. If you got your location service turned on, you somebody right now somebody has identified it. Your phone is on it. You're at 229 Wood Street, York, South Carolina. It wasn't like that. They had to go and search. So he went and he found Saul and they came back to Antioch and spent a whole year teaching the disciples. The church was established. Yeah. The church was established there in Antioch. Paul actually begins his missionary journey in Antioch. A lot happened in Antioch. You know, you remember what happened with Peter in Caesarea when God sent him to Caesarea and the church there believed in Cornelius' house. They were filled with the Holy Spirit while Peter was preaching. He didn't lay hands on them or anything. And Peter says, can we forbid baptism to these people? God has already shown that he's accepted the Gentiles. So then as Greeks began to be converted to this new way, this new, this new faith, that change was evident. That change was evident. They identified with Christ, no longer identifying with the culture around them. No longer identifying with the culture around them. Now, parts of the culture, of course, you're going to identify. You're going to identify with eating the food. But you're talking about the way of life of people. Can you hear? This is why, one of the reasons that these people called them Christians. It may not have been a favorable term, but they, they saw that these people followed this Christ. This ought to speak volumes to us. The identity issue was not just in name. They did not go around telling people, I'm a Christian. 
They probably didn't wear crosses, and they didn't carry Bibles because at that day and time, there were still scrolls. So how else were they to be identified? By the way they lived. By the way they lived. Can someone say, I should be identified by the way I live? should be identified as a follower of Christ by the way I live. Christianity, Christianity today is almost like Christianity in, 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 in a sense as it began to form into a church in the early days, in the Catholic sense. Because we got all of these different doctrines and all of these different beliefs and people just connecting to the church because of some perceived benefit. Can you imagine? You connect to Christ knowing that you could very well be persecuted, knowing that you very well could be killed, knowing that people hated Christians, and blamed Christians for plagues and other things. But yet, you hear the gospel, and you believe that this is the way. This is totally different from what we're hearing and what we're seeing. Because when you don't connect with Christ for the right reasons, any kind of persecution comes. You're going to fall away. And you can tell whether we've connected with Christ for the right reasons, by the way. Do you ever wonder or do you ever question what this identity looked like? This identity with Christ looked like being addicted to drugs or alcoholism. This identity with Christ look like Sexual promiscuity. Does identity with Christ look like partying, visiting nightclubs, and the likes? Does identity with Christ look like gossiping, being busybodies, causing confusion? Does identity with Christ look like being fornicators and adulterers? Does identity with Christ look like being silent about your faith? Does identity with Christ look like being lazy, purposeless, or self-centered? Do you ever stop and think about what does identity with Christ look like? If I am identified with Christ, what does it look like in my life? How do I present myself to the world? Do you ever wonder? All of these things I just mentioned, think about it. If that was, the, if that was what the people in Antioch saw who were not part of the way, they would not have labeled these people as Christians. What do we label people who say they're Christ? and their lives are contrary. What do we call them? Say it. What? No, did you say hypocrite? 
Y'all don't want to say it. But you know, it's the truth. People call you a hypocrite. Hypocrite. Because you say one thing, but you live something different. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I never want to be a hypocrite. Even when I struggle with things in my life, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. I wanted to represent Christ. I didn't want to just represent Christ when I preach, but I want to represent Christ when I live. I want people to see Jesus in my life. I want my life to be different. I don't have to fit in with people. I don't have to be liked by people. I want Jesus to like me. I want Jesus to be pleased with me. When I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. If the people at Antioch who were not followers of Christ had seen this, these types of behaviors in the lifestyles, these people, they wouldn't have called them Christians. The Antiochians saw a difference in these followers of Christ. And they may have dubbed them Christian mockingly, but they dubbed them Christian in truth because these people were followers of Christ who belonged to and identified with Jesus. You know, saints, it's time for us to know that we belong to and we identify with Christ. It's so easy because in today's culture, there's so much syncretism and so much mixture. You know, so much stuff is being taught and said even in congregations that give people a pass. But God doesn't give us a pass to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Now, when you read the epistles, all of these things that I mentioned, you're going to find in the epistles. The Scripture teaches us to avoid these. You once were foreigners and strangers, but now you are part of the household of faith. You did this when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but now you've been made alive in Christ Jesus. So you see this in the teaching. I'm not preaching in my opinion. I'm sharing the word of the Lord. Christ is looking for people, even though it may be a remnant, who will be different, who will belong to him and identify with him. It's our belonging to and identifying with Christ that distinguishes us. That distinguishes us. Out of that belonging to and out of that identifying with Christ, we put parameters around our lives. Nobody has to fuss with me about my behavior. Holy Spirit is speaking to me from his word. Are you all understanding? Now, I may be preaching to the choir this morning. We don't have a choir. <laughs> but you know what I mean. But it's important that we get this because 
As in the days when Christianity began to develop, well, we can even go to the early days of Christianity, there were those who connected to the movement, but they didn't connect with Christ. They were not followers of Christ. They didn't sense that they belonged to him, identified with him. So Ananias and Sapphira could lie to the Holy Ghost because they just joined the church. They didn't join Jesus. They could lie to the Holy Ghost. So many other things because they connected to a body, but they didn't connect with Christ. My identity with Christ my belonging to him and knowing that I belong to him makes all of the difference in the world. The fact that I go to church doesn't distinguish me. The fact that I read the Bible doesn't distinguish me. The fact that I dress a certain way doesn't distinguish me as a Christian. What distinguishes me is that I belong to Jesus. I don't belong to myself. And I identify with him. His nature, his, 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 his word, his purpose, his mission in this world. That's why I live. That's why I live. That which distinguishes us. I pray that this message is has provoked some thought in someone today, and I pray that, that someone will, or anyone, or more than one, some people would understand the essence of this and what it is to really be a follower of Christ. We have to challenge ourselves. If you don't challenge yourself, you'll go with the flow. And the flow in this world is so easy to go with because it seems like, you've heard this, everybody is what? Seems like everybody is doing it. Do you want to be like everybody or do you want to be like Jesus? You are a peculiar people. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You don't want to be like everybody else. You don't want to be. And guess what? You don't have to be. You don't have to be. You, you, you can have fun. You can live a clean life. You can have an enjoyable life without being like people who don't know Jesus. You can even put people in that place without cussing them out. <laughs> Amen? You don't have to be like the world. You don't have to use the terms that the world uses. There is a distinction. Got to come back to what God said. Be holy for I am holy. Got to get back to that. Holiness is still right. It's still right. It's still right. 
You can be beautiful and holy. You can be holy and beautiful. You don't have to show all your stuff when you're dressing up and going out. Cover yourself up. You're holy. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to put all kinds of stuff in your body and preserve yourself. You're holy. You're different. You're not like the world. You're not. You're not. There is a distinction. There is a difference. It don't matter if people don't like you. There'll be enough people who do. The older I get, the smaller my circle of so-called my friends are. It's real small. When I was younger, when I was in college, I had a whole lot of friends. I thought they were friends. I thought they were, but how could they be friends when they were helping me do stuff I had no business doing? We thought they were friends. I could go deeper than that, but I won't go in the pulpit today deeper than that. I can't go no deeper than that today. But the older I get, not just because people are dying off, but because I realize there's a difference. I don't do that. I don't go there. I don't talk like that. And unless, unless, unless these people are willing to change then I can be acquainted with them, but I can't call them my friends. And if I'm all alone, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. But I found out that when I follow Jesus, I'll never be all alone. Never. You'll never be. There's somebody that loves the Lord. There's somebody that wants to do right. There's somebody that wants to encourage you, and you can encourage. You will never be alone. Never be alone. Never be alone. The thing that distinguishes us, our belonging to Christ, our identifying with him, makes all the difference in the world. People will see the difference in your life. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us moved into the neighborhood, and we beheld, we saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, full of truth. That word comes to live in us. Becomes real in us. And we move into a neighborhood. People should be seeing Christ beholding the glory of Christ in our lives. People will look at me and say, you're a preacher, aren't you? They say, I know it. I said, I'm just saying in the back of my mind, I don't believe a word you say. You know I was a preacher. You might have saw that there was something different by the way I carried myself. You didn't know I was a preacher unless the Holy Ghost revealed it to you. Old people tell me when I was young, oh, I knew you were going to be a preacher. Hush, you didn't know anything. <laughs> My classmates say now, my former classmates, well, we knew Alfred was going to be a preacher. No, it was just, I didn't do what y'all did. But I did something I had no business doing. I tell you that. Tell the truth and shame the devil. I just didn't do what some of them did. You knew I was going to be a preacher. You didn't know that. You just knew that there was something different. 
about me. People should know that there's something different about you. You identify with Christ. You belong to him. Let's stand. Father, thank you for your word and the power of your word. Thank you that when your word goes forth, it does not return to you void, but it accomplishes all that you desire. You prosper your word in the things you sent your word to. Thank you for challenging us this morning. Thank you, Lord. Even for those of us who've made up our minds to live for you and be identified by you, thank you for challenging us to make sure that every day we live, we represent you well through the lifestyles that we live. Father, Holy Spirit, I pray and thank you for ministering to every heart that's listened today. Thank you for those who have ears, who hear, or who has an ear, because it only takes one person who has an ear to hear what you are saying to the church. Thank you, Lord. I pray for that lost person who has heard and wants to live for you. I pray for that nominal Christian, the person that's Christian in name, who has heard and wants to be a Christian in truth. I pray for that person that's struggling with the issues in their lives that they feel control them. Thank you for your mighty power. And thank you for your word that even speaks. When we make up our minds that we want to live for you, you're there to help us and deliver us from all the things that we struggle with all of our fears that, did, that tend to hold us back and stop us from selling out and committing to you. Thank you, Lord. Father, draw that person. Draw those people, whether in the sanctuary or online. Draw. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for your word that does not return to you void that accomplishes all that you desire. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If there's anyone here this morning and you would like to commit your life to Christ, not join the church, but commit your life to Jesus, I want to give it an opportunity to do so now. If you're watching us online, you have the very same opportunity. Through the prayer of faith, you confess yourself and your sins to the Lord and confess Christ as Savior and Lord. You have the opportunity, if this is a decision of your will, to commit your life to Jesus. This is what this is about. Yes, the church is important because this is where we receive nourishment and encouragement. We build each other up. So it's important to be connected to a local assembly of believers. But don't connect just to connect. Connect because you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. And you want to grow in him and be the person that he's called you to be. 
Thank you, Lord. So thank you for listening today. I want to pray this prayer of faith, prayer of confession. Some call it the sinner's prayer. Whatever you want to call it, I just want you, if you want to receive Jesus today, I want this to be a decision of your will, not mine, not because I asked you, but because you really want Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. But Lord, I believe that you died on the cross, that you satisfied God's righteous requirement so that I could be accepted by him. I believe, Lord Jesus, that you did that for me. Lord Jesus, I accept your sacrifice. Come into my life. Save me from my sin. I yield my life to you. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Thank you, Lord. I receive you now by faith. Thank you for receiving me as your child. I pray that you've been blessed by the message. And if you have, write to us. Let us know how this message has impacted your life. Or if you've made a decision for Christ today to follow Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, write to us and let us know that as well and give us your information so that we can follow up with you. You may write to us at Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. That's Tabernacle of Praise at msn.com. Give us your email address or a way to contact you so that we can follow up with you. Also, we would like for you to sow into this ministry. If you've been blessed by this work, by the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the gospel, and you would like to help further this cause, we're not just preaching here in the United States. We are preaching around the world. Through this podcast, our messages are being heard in many places around the world. We are actively working in eight countries in the world on the ground in Liberia, Malawi, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, and Dominican Republic. So if you'd like to help us in this work, feel free to sow a seed to help further the preaching and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the expanding of the kingdom of God. If you would like to give, go to topraise.org forward slash give. Again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Continue to pray with us and for us as we continue to spread this gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. God bless you.